Hey. hey, you're listening to Avid Research. Avid Research. Avid Research. An Australian STEM podcast where we answer the questions you never quite got around to asking. Welcome back to the show team. My name's Amelia and today we have yet another awesome guest on the show. We have Dr. Kelly Hill, who is a research manager at Water Research Australia. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kelly. Hello. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Hopefully going to start with an easy question. What is your job? That's a nice and easy one. Thank you. So yes, as Amelia said, I'm a research manager for Water Research Australia. Um, And what that means is that Water Research Australia has members. We're a not-for-profit organisation and we provide research solutions to water industry, utility regulators, health departments and environmental regulators in terms of their research needs. So a utility might come to us and say we have this problem um, and my job as a research manager is to talk to the other utilities around the country that may have a similar problem and then help them co-develop a solution to figure out how to answer the problem and then they also co-fund it so they, they're not going about funding one problem you know each individually and and sort of spending lots of money it's all about co-collaboration and co-development and co-delivery of research that sounds fascinating it sort of sounds like you're facilitating large group problem solving yeah yeah that's kind of what it is and we run um problem what we call problem definition workshops throughout the year in each state across australia so we're national organization and that's exactly right we just get groups of people together to problem solve and um talk about what their needs are and where the future sort of innovations in the industry might might be leading us how did such an organization come to exist it I haven't come across anything like that in any other industry. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, It originated from a CRC, so that's a Cooperative Research Council, Um, and those are generally funded by the um, government, the Australian government. They last for a series of terms, as I understand it, and then with the the motivation to then drive them into sort of being self-sustaining research centres, as I I'm aware Water Research Australia is the only successful CRC to have continued into a business. So we're very proud of our collaborative sort of skills and bringing everybody together and being able to continue to deliver a worthwhile service to the water industry. It, it is genuinely cool. Like that's <laughs> I'm like, this is what so many researchers need. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nice. And it's nice to to have a job where you feel like you're contributing something, you know, that's it, it feels good morally because you're just trying to help everybody and it's sort of a win-win situation for everybody. Yes, yeah, there'd be no grubbiness with this particular one. Is there anything no. – sorry, it's a bit of a possibly an odd question, but is there anything you think that's special about the water industry that's allowed the CRC to continue or did it just happen to be like the right combination of people – um, I think it's probably both. So the water industry in Australia is actually a really, really collaborative industry. So um, there's not really much competition. People don't choose a water provider. Like if you live in South Australia, you get your water provided by SA Water and it just is what it is. So there's not a lot of competition between water providers. And I think in that sense, 
there's they're very collaborative across the nation everybody wants to work together and help each other sort of deliver things so whereas you might have in the defense industry different people competing for business you don't really have that with the water industry so it helps to keep that nice collaboration and community vibe I guess that's such a nice thought that there's a a sense of community across like everyone in Australia who's trying to help provide us with safe water and it's an essential service as well so yeah that's right there's no breaks during lockdowns (laughs) (laughs) no that'd be disastrous (laughs) (laughs) yeah are you able to talk a bit about any of the particularly interesting problems that say these groups have come together to solve yeah sure um well I guess most topical would be the pandemic the COVID pandemic that sort of started last year and you may not think water has much to do with it and um, in fact Water Research Australia with us having health departments utilities and researchers and laboratories as our members we were in like this perfect position to be able to pull everybody together quite quickly and we developed early on in February last year a fact sheet on wastewater worker safety as one of our members was asked to produce one for the Chinese government and this was before it became a pandemic so they were a bit concerned that their water workers would stop working as their nurses did because of fear of um, contracting the virus. There is no risk of contracting the virus through wastewater or water that we get supplied so we needed to put out a fact sheet for the Australian water utilities as well to ensure that everybody was comfortable. What we may not know, what everybody might not know, is that routinely we always have viruses in the wastewater. So if you get a cold or you get the flu or, you know, and you go to the toilet, that's always in the water anyway. Um, And so the water utilities routinely treat those and they also routinely test for certain viruses um, in the wastewater to um, report to their health regulators. So I guess, yeah, we developed this project to look for the coronavirus, which is it's called SARS-CoV-2, the virus, which is responsible for the COVID-19 disease. So we look for that virus in the wastewater and we developed this project bringing together the laboratories and the health departments and utilities to, to look for the virus. And, and everybody sort of played their key part, but the health departments were really the drivers. So they help the utility sort of locate where within the sewage network would be best to test based on community transmission or initially sort of targeting areas where we didn't think there were cases um, so that if we did get a detect in the wastewater it would be an early detection of a community transmissed virus so because we have the virus and we shed it without showing symptoms for sort of five to seven days the wastewater actually provided a really good opportunity to be able to pick it up when people didn't even feel symptoms so we could try and target it ahead of being um, a clinical case in the community yeah so I guess some of the key highlights from that have been that we have found it in the wastewater Um, and we have managed to pick it up a couple of days ahead of community transmission. And we had a huge water conference actually in South Australia last week called Auswater, and that was apparently the largest business gathering in Australia since the COVID pandemic, which is pretty cool. 
And what was nice was that I was sitting at this conference knowing that there was a, a sampling point two kilometers down the street and that in within 24 hours, the health department guy sitting next to me would be able to tell me that we were all safe. So that was nice. <laughs> yeah, it's good. And everybody's been sort of working really well together to make sure that we pull all those resources where we can. That's a really cool bit of insider knowledge to have. <laughs> yeah. Which is obviously as a member of the general public, that's like really lovely to hear. That's what all these systems should be used for. It's really good. There was so much in what you just said that was fascinating. But I think a lot of people would be surprised that wastewater sampling is just undertaken regularly and that you could detect even just like a normal flu. Like I think where most people are aware that's happening for uh, COVID now, but I think we a lot of us thought that it was special. That's cool. There's something special about COVID that makes it like yeah. detectable in sewage. Um, but clearly there's not. <laughs> no, actually, yeah, the COVID virus is, you wouldn't believe it, but it breaks down really quickly. So it's probably like less likely than others to be detected in sewage. So we've done a lot of work on sort of making the sensitivity and specificity of testing really specific to find it in these low case settings. So, yeah, whereas other viruses are a bit more hardy, they don't tend to break down as easily in in the environment. Yeah, right. So it really is an airborne, happy in its air, and very unhappy somewhere else. Um, Sorry, I'm just thinking. And Well, another cool little anecdote, if you want one. Yeah, (laughs) all the anecdotes are welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Something that I thought particularly tickled me early on when I found out when we were engaging the utilities and the sewer workers and they have they monitor sort of the peak flush of um, wastewater in the system generally to make sure it can cope with the amount and everything and when we all went into lockdown and we were all staying at home they were telling me all that peak flush has actually been delayed by like half an hour to an hour so um and that's because nobody was sort of commuting. Everybody was having a sleep in and it was great for us because then we had a bit more insight into where to test and when to test to pick up the virus in that first flush of the day. But yeah, that tickled me a little bit with everybody's commute now being from the bedroom to the study. <laughs> it was a bit interesting. Um, and by peak flush, mm. um, is that literally like that there's a time of the day where the majority of people flush the toilet? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yes, that. You sort of get up, um, you have a shower, you wash your face, you go to the toilet. All the, It's all of the morning sort of sanitation that we do. That's all encompassed in that peak flush. And we were trying to target all of it because actually – more of the virus is released in the phlegm than in in the poo. So we, we really wanted, you know, when people were brushing their teeth or washing their face and those things as well. Yeah, right. Okay. So, And is it like um, often if you're having a medical thing where you need to pee in a jar, they'll ask you to do it first thing in the morning because that's because um, your body's been holding onto that liquid for most of the night, it'll tend to be more concentrated. Was that a factor in it as well? I don't know. I guess so. But I couldn't 
say. I think they were just trying to get the time when everybody was going to the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) There's something comforting about like knowing that all my fellow country folk tend to go to the toilet at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there was a there was something in the in the states during um, the Super Bowl one year when there was some some issue with the the sanitation system because everybody went to the toilet during the the ad breaks. It was a couple of years ago. Anyway, irrelevant. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I I think it's important. It's very easy when you're in the little room by yourself to be like, this is, you know, it's just me, but actually you're one of many. Mm. Um, The the services serve many. So we can sample for the COVID virus, which is awesome and has been like greatly appreciated. Are we also regularly yeah. sampling, and feel free if you don't know this to be like, go away, but are we sampling for things <laughs> like other waterborne diseases that are not good? And I can't, is it typhoid? And like, do, do we test for that in Australia or are we just like, it's not here so we don't worry about it? I'm not sure about typhoid, um, but I know that wastewater for polio surveillance sort of mm-hmm. still exists around the world. And we use generally use wastewater testing for polio to keep our polio free status in Australia. And interestingly, in I think it was 2013, they found an outbreak of polio in one of the um, countries in Africa. And that was due to the wastewater surveillance testing um, that's been ongoing there. And and it's through these sort of wastewater testing programs that the sort of legacy programs that we've been able to sort of scale up and develop on for the COVID testing. So we've just been um, funded by the Australian Water Partnerships to help transfer our methods and our understanding of how and when to sample and how to test for the virus in wastewater into the Mekong countries. Um, and to share that those with our partners. So we're sort of also connecting to the poliovirus testing labs there and developing on those techniques that are already sort of in place there as well. There is a lot of water in the Mekong and a lot of people up to all sorts of things on it. How long have people, if you know, how long have people been looking at wastewater to detect diseases? I guess it's not done routinely or with any sort of big plan as yet. Um, the The only sort of major routine surveillance of wastewater for diseases that I know of globally is for polio. Um, and that was a real global push for the eradication of polio. Um, but I do believe that what what we call is wastewater-based epidemiology and it's really understanding the health of the community um, through the wastewater is, is sort of an emerging research area that we're looking at. Um, so it's it's something that's sort of coming up and it's very topical and it's on, it's on the radar of the health department. How did they, do you have any idea how they worked it out that if you tested sewerage, you could find useful pieces of information in it I don't know I want to I want to say it's linked to you know probably right back in I don't know the UK in the 1600s when everybody was throwing their waste out of the window and somebody decided they needed a sewage system because it's causing health effects that people started linking 
you know, the spread of diseases and viruses to sewage. But I guess in terms of finding it in the sewage, I'm not sure when that that started, when we were actively looking um, and really testing. I'm, I'm not sure when that started. I guess microbiologists have been using virus testing in sewage for over 70 years that I know of in published papers. So it's been a while. And we've known for a very long time that looking at really any kind of excrement can be quite educational and you can learn a whole lot from it. So I guess it's it's not like a giant leap to come up with. Yeah. Fascinating. Thank you for answering all those questions. <laughs> oh, that's all right. <laughs> I think I can talk about this project for days. So, yeah. How much international collaboration was going on to make this happen? Like you mentioned pulling together a, a fact sheet for China, but like are other countries doing this as well? Uh, yeah, there are a lot of other countries doing this. Um, so early on in the pandemic, we connected with the Water Research Foundation in the USA um, and they uh, conducted a sewage surveillance symposium and brought together all the sort of key uh, virologists and microbiologists in the world to to really brainstorm this problem. So we were part of four working groups in that symposium early last year. Um, and that was a global group of people. And so we've been in touch with them throughout this whole period of time. We also are partners with the Global Water Research Coalition, which is a group of um, it's basically like Water Research Australia's around the world, our international counterparts, um, the UK version, Aquia, Water RF in the US, um, and similar groups sort of in South Africa and uh, Singapore around the world. So we all get together and we've got a working group where we discuss these problems um, as, and this specific issue, all the groups are undertaking research and trials and doing things in this area. We also um, presented to the European Union town hall gatherings. So they've had a few gatherings where all the different sort of groups across the countries of Europe got together and similarly are trying to implement these sorts of testing. And it's quite interesting because obviously we're quite fortunate in South, in South Australia and in Australia that we have very few case numbers so that the sort of discussions are very, very different um, in, in sort of what their tasks are and what they're trying to achieve, but it's, it's very interesting. So yeah, quite a lot of international engagement. It's sort of, I guess it's not too formal. It's, it's just groups of people with similar knowledge, similar interests, doing similar things, finding avenues to talk to each other and learn from each other. Which is what so many researchers would like dream of happening, everyone coming together, working on these big global problems yeah. together. Like, obviously, it's a shame it took a pandemic. And, yeah. You know, like, I'm not condoning pandemics. But. Yeah. Well, I know. I think there's been a few times where we've had, oh, like, unfortunately, we don't have much virus to be able to show in the wastewater. It's actually, oh, well, actually, we're really fortunate that we don't have any virus in the wastewater yeah 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 I imagine it could be a bit overwhelming in um some other places around the world right now yeah absolutely um, my heart bleeds for for them my family actually is all based in in the UK so I was reflecting on it the other day at the the conference that I mentioned before where 
you know, when you go to a conference and you get a delegate satchel and in the delegate satchel was a roll of toilet roll and a bottle of hand sanitizer. <laughs> and I was sort of reflecting on the year, you know, that's been and and my family in the UK have had a pretty rough ride of it. And um, it, it spurred me on, I think, to keep pushing the boundaries with this research and making sure it was useful and being implemented by the health departments in Australia to help any way I could really. Yeah. Yeah. I think having that global perspective can be really beneficial sometimes. Heartbreaking. Yeah. It's quite easy for us to be in our safety bubble and be a bit unaware of what's going on. We're very lucky. (laughs) Is there any kind of privacy concerns around the sewage sampling? Because the people who flush the toilet haven't necessarily like signed something saying that they want things to be. How does that work? It's it's a good question, and I'm glad you've asked because I think yeah, it's not a known thing. But basically, you know, where we're sampling at at, at wastewater treatment plants and such they're they're sort of between 50,000 people to 2 million people's worth of sewage so there's absolutely no way that we can trace it back to Joe Bloggs you know at 1 Smith Street so we we can sort of determine a general area but there's you know wastewater testing that goes on in general in the community um, anyway so it's not anything that is in more detail or taking anyone's privacy away at all it's it's just a sort of what the way we like to look at it is um where you might have one covid test in in the nostril and we in the start of the pandemic there were lots of publications and campaigns to get whole communities cities towns tested clinically um, and when you've got the low case setting that we're fortunate enough to have, you could do a few tests at a wastewater treatment plant and capture the data of, you know, 100,000 people um, with sort of one test rather than 100,000 clinical tests. So that's where the, the benefit really shines as well. And there's multiple benefits to that. One is it's ridiculously cheaper and the other is you don't have a swab go down your mm. nostril. <laughs> Yeah, that's quite unpleasant. <laughs> Sorry. Like, yeah, it's an, it's interesting. Someone did joke to me the other day that one of, one of these days we're going to have toilet roll that prints out our, our health on it after we've been to the toilet, but hopefully not. <laughs> uh, I'm sure I've seen that in a sci-fi somewhere. <laughs> yeah, there was something to do with about like receipts and the weight of like your yeah. stuff yeah I mean it, you could go like full black mirror dark like dystopia um, yeah let's not <laughs> I'm, ho- I'm hoping there's ethical people like you who will be like oh maybe maybe just yeah pause. I know <laughs> it's it's been interesting because actually I know like it's brought together a lot of great collaborations this project but it, I think the pandemic sort of brought the best and the worst out of people and universities have really struggled in this time and I think some people have lost sight of you know why this research has happened and I I faced a lot of calls of people at universities sort of slamming me for you're not letting us do this testing and really 
you know, because we're trying to make a difference to the pandemic response, we need the labs that have been doing the virus testing for 20 years, the ones that are reporting to the health department, and then sort of building capability among researchers and stuff once, you know, we've got pandemic response under control sort of thing. <laughs> so it's there are some really great collaborations, but it's definitely brought out some interesting sides to some groups. There's a lot of people that are at their wits' end and mm. not necessarily doing the best as well. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no. It's, uh, it, I guess that, you know, no job is all roses and I, I love the sort of moral emphasis of my job and getting everybody together to help in the right way and that's what gets me up in the morning so yeah. uh, now you're jumping ahead and answering questions in the future <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the skills that you need to be able to do your job effectively because it's an interesting combination of things you've got going on it is I guess it's a lot about being able to ask questions for me um, my job is really to understand the needs and and the places where we can bring people together. So if you think of sort of innovation and we think of, um, you know, Tesla, Apple, all those great innovators, like Tesla didn't invent the wheel and Apple didn't invent the phone, but they've taken knowledge and they've built on it and they've asked questions and they've learned from different different sources, different um, stakeholders, different industries and they've asked lots of questions and then they've been able to piece together and find new ways forward. So I guess for me, the main skills for my job are really around networking. For one, understanding that there are groups of, you know, long-term water industry professionals with lots of insight and lots of scientific research, mining them for that information by asking questions and then also learning, you know, new techniques across the sector, what new innovations are coming and how can we help solve those problems with all those different aspects. So, yeah, it's sort of networking, I guess, for me is the, is the key skill that you need to do to do my job and to really ask lots of questions. I love asking questions. I think I was that kid when the parents were like, stop asking why all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I yeah. I've literally built a podcast around asking questions, so yeah. <laughs> I'm obviously a fan. <laughs> yeah, excellent. So networking's a that's that for a lot of people, it's a tricky skill, right? We often have these ideas of we're going to go to an event and I'm going to network and it's it's going to be awesome, and then maybe you make a contact and nothing happens. Like, have you got any advice for all the people listening? who would really like to have their superpower was networking? Um, yes. I think, I mean, it's kind of sad from what I've just said, but it is just to keep asking questions. So say, so, you know, I say, hey, Amelia, what did you do on the weekend? And you said, oh, I went to the cinema and I went, oh, great, bye. And then I asked somebody else the same question and they also went to the cinema and I put you two together, but, you know, you, you watched a love story and, and they watched a horror movie. You need to be able to ask more questions. You need to say, oh, okay, you know, what, what movie did you see? How did you like it? How did you find it? What do you think could have been improved? 
keep asking the questions and then when you meet the next person even if they don't relate you'll probably have some insights about how they've spoken to you or what they've learned and be able to adapt that and bring that into your next conversation so um i guess there's that the question asking which is my favorite thing to do um and then following up um is always good and if you've you know got a business card following up reminding people where you met them and what you spoke about even like the best way to build great networks i found is over coffee (laughs) so sit and have a coffee and even you know during zoom if you've met someone you had a great conversation there's no harm in just saying hey do you want to have a 15 minute zoom coffee a it helps you get up and b it, it just reinforces that connection and then you've got another person in your toolbox of knowledgeable people that you can go to about something they are very actionable tips i'm gonna add in i think that one of the things that i love to do is when you meet two people who otherwise would never cross paths and you find out they have something in common a passion or something and you can then encourage them to make a connection and it doesn't necessarily include you you're not part of this like secret awesome group but seeing other people go off that you've for one of a better match made that's mm. that's a really powerful form of networking as well when it's not just for you and your sort of own outcomes it's also to yeah. help others I think it's, it's nice yeah absolutely and I think when one of the tips if you are able to connect people and you like see it all the time at events and someone will wander over a, a networking event and and you introduce people uh, with a, with a fact so you might say I might say oh hi this is Amelia she works for Water Research Australia and does this this and this rather than just say oh John this is Amelia so introducing someone with a fact and the other person also with you know something about them so that they then have the next like tick in their head oh that's how I can make this conversation keep going and then they have a, a route to keep talking on that's yeah. a really good one. And it, yeah, you've sort of taken away that first awkward, like, let's break the ice with some random question that I need to think of thing. Yeah. And it also means when people come and join, you don't have to listen to the, so what do you do every time? <laughs> <laughs> you get to be like, this person does this, but this is the interesting thing about them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's keep exactly. talking about the interesting thing. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> How have you got to where you are now? Because I I can't imagine that there's many high school students sitting in there thinking, I'm going to be someone who's really passionate about testing wastewater for viruses, or organising people to do that. Like how do you, how do you get from like yeah. yeah maybe start with what did you <laughs> want to be when you're at high school? <laughs> okay, when I was at high school, I wanted to be a vet, and I studied really hard and then I found out how hard it was to get in to do veterinary at university (laughs) um so I I took my next passion so I'm very passionate about helping people and help like trying to make a difference so that was the environment um and I studied environmental science I grew up in the UK so I studied environmental science in England at a university and then I went to Scotland I found managed to find a scholarship 
by the Scottish EPA to help me keep studying. Um, and I did catchment management, which is sort of studying the flow of water in the environment at a, at a large scale. And in Scotland, it was quite a lot to do with hydrology and the amount of water and what do we do with all this water, which is really interesting. And then um, I was again offered a scholarship to do some research in Australia. Um, so I went, absolutely, yes, I'll take three months and go to Australia and do some more research, ask some more questions. Ended up in Adelaide, which is the driest city in the driest state. <laughs> so there were lots of questions that I had. Um, and then again, my sort of supervisor said, oh, well, if you want to stay, we'll, we've got a great PhD for you. And I thought, hell, yeah. I would love to stay in Australia. The sun shines for 20-something hours a day. It's beautiful. So I I took that up um, and then I did a PhD and it's it was a long, very hard four years um, and I commend anybody that does and completes a PhD. It's, it's a tough task. And then I realised that I'd spent these four years writing this thesis and nobody might not ever read it. <laughs> So I took up some voluntary work actually at the university and at SA Water in outreach programs. So teaching sort of science to schools um, because I figure, you know, the next generation, you guys are the ones that are going to be pulling your parents up and going, oh, you know, make sure you don't put that in the recycle bin and you don't put it in the normal bin. It's the kids that drive the future and they are the future. So so that was my next sort of passion was reaching out and, and teaching and sharing knowledge. Um, and then I found Water Research Australia and their whole sort of ethos around making sure that research is used by the industry and usable and is out there was sort of how I landed in that. So nothing to do with testing poo at all in my upbringing and my education, but I think I guess my tip for anyone in high school wondering, what do I do now? For me, you know, just follow your passion, follow whatever interests you, because if you're interested, you'll keep doing it and you'll do it well. And then I guess take all the opportunities. Um, I never thought in my wildest dreams, sitting at home in England with my parents, you know, when I was 17, wondering which university I'd go to that 10 years later, I'd be in Australia doing my PhD so the world is your oyster and opportunities come when you least expect them so just take them run with what you want to do and take all the opportunities and it will be great <laughs> that's pretty awesome <laughs> yeah you're a fair way from being a vet um <laughs> yep <laughs> I have two dogs but yes I do take them to the vet when they're sick can't do much <laughs> you can just be like it'll be okay yeah do you still get to do the outreach now we have well at water research australia we have a research leadership program so i'm a bit involved in that and that is around sort of creating scholarships uh for students doing honors or masters or phd um, and also sort of mid and senior level career um, and it's about for for the students my my part of it is to help them sort of get integrated within the industry so students doing honours can do their placement within a utility and really learn how that 
the research that they're doing is being used and could be used in that setting. So um, a little bit in that sense, yeah. That'd be great fun, doing an honours and knowing that the information was actually going to be used at some point. That'd be cool. Yeah, it is. It's pretty good. I wish I knew that that existed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's uh, like part of the whole CRC concept is – uh, connecting academia with industry and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. you're living it. Yes, it's great. You've obviously mentioned some great advice to young people just there. Is there any other advice you'd give to young people? The main the main things for me are to ask lots of questions, go out of your comfort zone, networking. Like I was very shy. I hated talking to people I didn't know. But people aren't they're not horrible um people love to talk about themselves as well like if you ever ask anyone to talk about themselves you can just have a an hour long conversation if you keep asking them about them so you don't have to worry about it um just yeah put yourselves out there i guess the the key things for me are follow your passion take opportunities and keep asking questions <laughs> how did you overcome that shyness like did you just start asking questions and you're like oh people will just like chatter on about themselves this isn't too bad (laughs) yeah I guess so um it it sort of becomes less difficult the more you do it um and as well you get um sort of key they're like little rocks that you can lean on in in your network and so I I like to have my champions I call them champions so I've got mentors and you know Kathy that you interviewed previously as one of my champions and these are the people that you developed a connection with you've networked with you know they're professional contacts you know that they're well respected in the industry Um, and, and at a networking event you know you can start with them they will also introduce you to people so they've done the networking key skill of this is Kelly she works at Water RA and she samples poo and then you know and introduces me to someone else and then as long as you've got a couple of rocks um, once you've built those you can just keep going and growing them and it and then that's the way to sort of keep going and feel comfortable that you know you've got people that you've already developed that connection with. I think that's awesome advice Um, and I, I don't know how weird people are at the moment in South Australia. I'm in Melbourne and everyone's just a little bit weird uh, post-lockdown. <laughs> and it's actually yeah. really kind of good. Like this is a good opportunity to start networking because everyone feels uncomfortable. Um, yeah. So you know that no matter how extroverted that person was pre-lockdown, they're still feeling a bit odd now. And it's a good opportunity to just have a chat. Yeah. And everybody's got something that they can, uh, you know, relate to. Everybody's been through the last year together. I mean, it's different for people, but you've got you've got to start away. You've got a question there to ask people how how they went over the last year and how they're feeling being out of the house now. <laughs> and two very safe topics at the moment. It's still toilet paper. People still want to talk about toilet paper <laughs> and like the quality of yep. different kinds of hand sanitizer. That's suddenly everyone's an expert. Ah. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> oh, that's a gloopy one. You don't want to go near the gloopy one. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> you live and learn, don't you? Test and then, yep. 
thank you for sharing that. That's all very, very awesome and very actionable, which I like. Nice. Are there any myths about your work that you would like to take this opportunity to bust? Like, are there misconceptions out there? I guess there are maybe misconceptions about utilities making money. One that I would like to bust, it's not particularly my my company, but our members are water utilities. And they're also, you know, government agencies, sort of not for profit. So when they make, if they do make a profit, they put it back into the business and provide something. And I think it goes underestimated and underrated how much energy and effort the utilities in many cases put into research to make the world a better place. Like they own, they own huge pieces of land with reservoirs in and and they take a lot of care over that land and the the quality of the environment that's in there to make sure that the water that goes into the reservoir is the best quality for us to drink and I think that's probably something that's lesser known like utilities are quite often known for yep they you know I turn on my tap and there's a glass of water and I flush the toilet and my shit's gone (laughs) so it's it's I think it it's nice to just put it out there that the utilities are not they're not all bad and they do some really good stuff. And if you're still feeling a little bit cynical or anything, I do recommend having a listen to that episode with Dr. Kathy because the amount of innovation that's going on in the industry, you will probably never see it. You probably won't get to taste it, but everything is just constantly yeah. being improved. So that's they're not sitting there just sort of like like fat cats counting money going, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. They're working they real are. hard. They do a great job. And just to wrap up, have you got a shout out for us? Anyone who you think who's doing a particularly awesome job at the moment who deserves some high fives from everyone listening? Well, I guess there's a couple of groups. There's one at the um, International Water Centre. Karen and Pitchamon interviewed me a while ago and they're doing a piece on women um, and rivers and water quality and specifically focusing on regions that are sort of being developed um, and the Mekong countries and so big shout out to them for a acknowledging the role that women can play in supporting and surviving our rivers and our ecosystems and also helping you know a lesser developed country Um, and also I guess just a shout out to all the high school kids that are listening to this, you guys, if you're motivated enough to to listen to how, you know, what future might hold for you and what you can do to achieve and strive for things, um, you guys are on the right path and you guys are the future. So keep going. High fives to everyone there. And is that going to be an article that's going to be written that's coming out? Yes, I believe so. Awesome. Uh, we'll see if we can find it. And, yeah. Because, we'll, yeah. yeah, that'll be interesting. And, yes, high, high fives to all the high school students. I know there's a lot of driven teenagers out there who are keen to make the world a better place. So water could be your thing. And water is, I guess, the point, like, for me as well, water is not something that you necessarily choose to study. There's not... um a course in water like there is in engineering or there is in biology um, and quite often you do end up following your passion in whatever way it is through it whether it's engineering or biology or 
uh, underwater basket weaving, it's it, it, then you might end up following into the water industry. And the water industry is a great place to be. Everybody's friendly, <laughs> lots of innovation, and you might get asked a lot of questions by crazy people like me. <laughs> Honestly, you're making it sound pretty desirable, I have to say. <laughs> it's, like fun. it's I love it. It's a good industry to be in. So cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Dr. Kelly. It has been absolutely fascinating. I think everyone's learned something and you're doing awesome work, so please keep it up. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this podcast, you're an absolute gem of a human being and you should head over to avidresearch.com.au, sign up for our amazing email newsletter and get all the download on the upcoming episodes and maybe even get a bit of a sneak peek about what's coming next. If you've been enjoying this podcast, you should definitely subscribe. We're on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify and even Google these days. Thanks. <laughs>